0: Hello and welcome to the St. Evelyn's podcast. I'm Simon Carley, and today I'm going to be taking you through December. December 2018, interesting month and lots of really good blogs I think this month from a variety of different people and I think it's time for us to summarise those around Christmas and the new year before we get into twenty nineteen for what's looking like it's gonna be another great year on the blog, on the podcast, and with all the stuff going on around FOMED, oh the last SMAC conference coming up, hopefully some more St Emlyn's Live, we've got oh gosh, I'm out to Saudi Arabia, really looking forward to that in February. And the whole team's around the place basically doing well, what we like doing, which is teaching, educating and learning. So let's get a little bit of a taste of that about what we've been talking about in December. So First up, got Ross Fisher, obviously a key member of the St Emeline's team, paediatric surgeon working over in Sheffield. And he's brought us up to date on tribalism in healthcare. Now, this is something which we've talked about before. And in fact, if we go back, I think we really started learning and listening to about it when we saw quite an amazing presentation by Vic Brazel at Smack Gold. What's that, 2014? And it's worth going back and having a look at that if it's if this is an area which you've not really explored before. And what Vic talked about then... And what Ross explores in some more depth in the blog is that tribalism is a real driver for how we behave and how we're treated, important point, in healthcare. So we do form tribes and the term sometimes upsets people, but essentially a tribe is a group of people who hold this sort of common culture, common belief, and, and they build in different ways. There's a great book called Tribes which describes five levels of them and the and level four is where we are mostly in healthcare which is that you define the tribe by who you are and the characteristics around you but it's often defined by being different to somebody else. So we as emergency physicians are awesome, all the surgeons are stupid. Well really that's Clearly not true it's just an insane thing to say really it's rude it doesn't help and it doesn't it's not exactly going to build great relationships between yourselves and the surgeons or the anaesthetists or the physicians and in fact in emergency medicine sometimes we feel like everybody's against us but you know it's not that dissimilar out in other specialties and i think it's really good that ross has come to this because when ross has been around a lot of other cultures. So he, with his learning around presentation skills, gets to go and speak to emergency physicians and anesthetists and physicians and nurses and doctors. So he's had this insight into how tribes can behave. And it's interesting, sat with him in a lot of conferences about how many times in emergency medicine we do, you know, behave in a really very tribalistic way against colleagues who are actually there to support us, and more importantly, I suppose, to support the patients. And Ross's idea is that we really should be Trying to be one tribe for the benefit of the patients as opposed to all these little individual tribes that exist within healthcare because it's not healthy. From my perspective, I think it's really interesting when we see people move out of ED, so they maybe have done a junior job in the emergency department and then they go off into another specialty and then start to adopt some of the behaviors of that other specialty or that other tribe, shall we say. And sometimes that's not terribly positive. So We've all experienced people who are not necessarily the easiest to refer to, who may have not actually been fabulous performers when they're in the emergency department with their referrals. You know, I, I don't want to explore that too much detail but you, you know what i mean so ross has put this blog together it's got some of the background there and um, he gave this talk at the EMTA, the emergency medicine trainees association it went down really well and he's got some interesting steps or ideas about how we can maybe reduce the amount of tribalism in healthcare. so using things like personal names when you're doing discussions referrals going around to see people face to face whenever you can as opposed to just trying to do electronically or over the phone we know phone conversations aren't as good when you when things go wrong be supportive, not critical. And I think we do often see that blame going, I can't believe the surgeon sent that patient home. When actually, when we've all done it, and it's not the surgeons, it's it's people. It's people like you and me who sometimes make errors. And talks about organising social events, which can be across specialties, and that doesn't happen in a lot of big hospitals, potentially a problem. Calling out tribalism in casual conversation. This is something I've started doing. So when people say things like, Oh, my God, I can't believe the medics did that. Well, say, well, what do you mean by the medics? That's a big group of people. Are they all characteristic of the way that you describe? And that's not they're not. Um, And this is important. I think uh, one of the things that Ross talks about in the blog is that you would never be permitted, I hope, to go around and say women are so stupid they can only hold one thought in their mind at a time. But it wouldn't be untypical for a lot of health economies where people would say, substitute one of those words and say, orthopods are so stupid they can only hold one thought in their mind at a time. Why is one acceptable and not the other? Makes you think, doesn't it? Other things, seek opportunity for working together outside of referrals. So joint research has worked very well for us. Having joint appointments with our colleagues in intensive care has worked fantastically well for us. And that goes to working committees as well. And then basically You know, try and work together because it will make your life so much easier. If I look now, I suppose I'm reasonably competent at what I do. I don't particularly get stressed about the medicine these days. It's doable and I'm constantly learning. There's so much more to learn. I'm not the best in the world, but I think I have insights to where my strengths and weaknesses are. The bits that cause me most angst and worry... Are when interpersonal things go wrong between colleagues in the department, and we end up in turf wars and battles, and I have to get involved in people saying this is not my problem. That's difficult, and I think we can do so much better. So, I think I'm I'm pleased that we're leading this month on the tribalism thing because I think it's a really important topic, and I do encourage you to go and have a look at Ross's blog. Then we've got a blog post from myself about the conservative management of chest trauma, and. This was linked to a couple of presentations I've done this year around torso trauma and the increasing body of evidence that we don't have to get all invasive about things like haemothoraces in particular and potentially some small haemothoraces as well. And the idea is really coming from the fact when I started off in emergency medicine, I did one of the very first ATLS courses in the country, actually not as a candidate, but as the model. I was the guy who'd been shot in the chest when we started off. If you had a pneumothorax or a hemothorax, it was an absolute indication for you getting a chest strain. There was no debate about this. It was just a binary outcome. You're getting one. And back then, that was the standard of care, and it's persisted for some people for a long period of time. And particularly for those patients who may be ventilated. Oh my gosh, you'd never consider not putting a chest strain in somebody who was going to be ventilated, even if they were actually quite well. Now these days, we're doing a lot more whole-body CT. And what that means is that we've discovered, interestingly that we missed loads of pneumothoraces and small haemothoraces in the past when we were just doing chest x-rays. So we now got this, this cohort of people who clearly we never knew had pneumothoraces and haemothoraces before, who we then went into a phase some years ago where we were chucking chest strains into all of them as well. And it doesn't make sense because we must have been ventilating and doing stuff with them before and we didn't see massive problems, interestingly. So we've now seen a change in practice and now it's increasingly common here in Birchester for us to just observe these things. So we observe a lot of the small pneumothoraces even if the patient's been ventilated we don't necessarily automatically put a chest drain in. But that's just been sort of experiential really. What we're now seeing is an increasing number of papers which are supporting this. There's a big one in Annals I think this month that shows something very similar. They are observational studies and not they're not trials as such. But there's um, a nice paper by Walker on the conservative of traumatic pneumothoraces observational study in the UK looking at 600 odd patients. And essentially what they found is that it's pretty safe to um, conservatively manage these. So 90% of the patients who they conservatively managed did fine, irrespective of whether we ventilated or not. Now, there's a, there's lots of problems with papers like this. It's observational. The decision about whether you would put a chest drain in at the beginning rather than do the observation wasn't standardised. It would have been open to um, the views of the people on the day. So, some people may have been more brave than others. And In fact, there's one of the failures I would describe as pretty brave, large hemothorax. But there you go. It, the idea is that, in observed practice people are managing this without apparently any sort of major complications in the patient so interesting paper if you're doing this or if you're thinking about doing it it certainly supports our practice here in Verchester and we're quite happy that the evidence is starting to form now then we've got um, a a collection of posts actually three posts from uh, Dan Horner a little bit of help from me but mostly Dan in fact virtually all Dan to be honest Dan Horner professor of emergency medicine over at uh, Verchester West as it's known He and I were both at the Intensive Care Society conference in London. Now, we do like the interface between emergency medicine and um, ICU. A number of my colleagues are dual trained and I think we do quite a lot of critical care in our department here. A lot more than in most departments. So people tell me I've not worked in other departments for a long period of time. But Dan's put together three excellent posts on what we were talking about when we were down there. There's There's far too much for me to go into here on the podcast I mean if you're interested in intensive care medicine and particularly the emergency medicine interface on this I, I strongly recommend you go and have a look at it the one highlight which unfortunately was one. One well, one bit I didn't go to myself is Tom Evans and his work around exercise physiology, which sounds like it was just the best presentation. I was, I was somewhere else in the building doing something else at the time. But have a look at that. And, and Tom Evans is a really interesting guy. You should follow him on Twitter. And we're going to try. Hopefully he said yes, but I'm not sure we've got a time yet. We're going to try and get him onto the blog or the podcast to tell us a little bit more. But they actually had a live demonstration with some Olympic rowers on stage showing how their lactates changed over time. Believe me the blood gas that they got on the stage would, I mean it's way beyond intensive care, this is, a, this is a blood gas that they would uh, would be phoning the chaplain honestly, the derangement that you can get in physiology through exercise is utterly remarkable it's something we looked at in the St. Temen's blog several years ago um, but we didn't get anywhere near the figures that these guys were getting on stage, truly truly interesting stuff, and also tells you a lot about the, the resilience and the incredible physiology that the human body has my Little contribution or one of my little contributions there was to go through Handover um, as part of the RESUS Roadside to Critical Care series. Nice nice little nice little idea at a conference actually so, to have several speakers talk about the different stages of a patient's journey as they go from what happens at the scene right the way through to their intensive care management. And I was involved in the trauma one, the torso trauma one, and it was interesting. We talked about our usual things that we talk about when we um, are going through Handover talked about the zero point survey again can't emphasize how important that is and what a difference it makes i was in resus just a couple of days ago and one of my colleagues was was observing me a peer review type process and they'd not seen the the zero point survey with an atmist missed as part of it done in that way before and i got i got some nice feedback so it's kind of working for me it's working with my colleagues so you know have a look at that as well so zero point survey the atmist and then that idea of of trying to work with our paramedic colleagues to make sure that they find out what happens to their patients after the after they've left because you know you need to know what happens to your patients if you're going to get better we then got a, a nice poster just wrapping up the Feminem conference from natalie may you remember that we talked about that in in the previous months fix 19 is now available i think they're Going to put out application. I think they're actually out now for um, applications to pitch for speaking. At Fix now. I think, oh, gosh, the deadline might be the thirty-first of December, but I'm sure if you really begged and you had a great idea, you could probably send it in anyway. But there you go. Fix nineteen again. More on finding a passion, role modeling, organization, consistency, persistent mentorship, and and leadership in general. I think the theme in this conference, of me reading it, has been the idea that we really. It's more, medicine's far more than just the clinical work. It's about how we impact on ourselves, our lives, our colleagues, and the populations that we serve. And I think uh, there's some really fabulous stuff come out of Fix, actually. I really must go there hopefully next year but you know, time is busy then we're going to talk about pep prep and all things hiv so this is Gareth roberts my colleague here in manchester recently appointed consultant who has an interest in this and spoke at the st emlin's live conference on it and he just takes us through a rapid review of hiv from the emergency physician's perspective and in particular the issue of uh, post-exposure prophylaxis and Pre exposure prophylaxis. This is an area where we need to be expert, to be honest. It's potentially a difficult time for people coming in requesting PEP. And there's some areas around that that we need to understand and, and recognize and manage those patients well. We need to know a little bit more about Pepsi, about um, pre exposure prophylaxis, as that's now quite common in the UK. And again, from a public health perspective, it's is great. Well, I started off working in medicine when the AIDS epidemic was really pretty awful here in Manchester. And to see and just review the changes with antiretroviral treatment and the way that that's transformed the ability of infected people to to, to live normal lives has been really quite fantastic. There's also a link there to uh, some of the other work that we've done around chemsex, which is increasingly an issue in populations in the UK, certainly, and some Things that certainly, as an emergency physician, you should be aware of about needle use and sharing and the association between certain drug uses and and chemsex. So, have a look at that. It's really important. I think it's one of those areas which really illustrate quite nicely why emergency physicians like you and I should be involved in public health matters. Then, Rich Cardens talked to us about trauma laparotomy. Now, this is really interesting, actually. It's, It's part of his PhD work, I think, down in London. But He came to me not that long ago, actually, and said, did you know that the mortality from trauma laparotomy hasn't changed in like 10 years? And I went, nah, can't be. We've done so much with trauma. We've done such amazing things in the UK, uh, dropping the mortality. We've got all these new techniques. We have courses. We have specific surgeons. We've got trauma centers. Oh, gosh, you know, all of these things must have made a difference. Well, interestingly, no. No. So they published a paper this year looking at two trauma registries. One's the military registry, the JTTR, and one's the Royal London Hospital, which is probably the best trauma centre in the UK, arguably. Well, it's the one I like the most, apart from the one I'm in. Anyway, it's a really good trauma centre, fantastic reputation with some really brilliant surgeons, anaesthetists, emergency physicians, everything. It's got, you know, it's a well-constructed and very experienced trauma centre. And both those cohorts the mortality from trauma laparotomy really hasn't changed over a decade and we need to think about why that might be because other aspects of trauma care have certainly improved and the mortality has gone down so rich talks about the reasons why that might be It's a little bit unclear at the moment but essentially this is a segue into the trauma emergency laparotomy audit which is uh, now under being now being undertaken in the uk now interestingly, there's been a laparotomy audit for non-trauma laparotomies for some time now and we really think that that has made a massive difference to the quality of care we're seeing improvements there hopefully this might do something similar now lots of reasons why mortality might change maybe we're just doing a lot more interventional radiology in the stable patients so the proportion who are going to theatre are you know more unstable i don't know but we need to find out because it does seem like a funny signal in the data be interested to know what people thought from other parts of the world and whether you're seeing something similar and then lastly, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones. Now, here's an admission. I've never seen Game of Thrones, but lots of people have. And in particular, Yanis Bayombe, our colleague here in Manchester, is a big fan. And he discovered in the Injury Prevention Journal a mortality study of characters in game of thrones it's a bit of fun it's christmas it's interesting if you're a game of thrones fan you should go and have a look at this but actually if you're just a critical appraisal nut then go and have a look at this all because it's actually quite we really well done so they looked at over 330 characters interestingly over half of them have died in the study period so game of thrones is really kind of a dangerous place um Pretty much everybody came to a horrible death, injury, burns or poisoning, um, with assault being the highest. This is, sounds like a terrible TV show, but the point is, it's a nice study looking at um, cause, effect, association and whether causation is a you know, correlation, association, causation. It helps you, I think, explore those concepts in critical praise. And it's the sort of paper I might use in teaching. One of the things actually is interesting is that you're more likely to survive if you change allegiances. Eh, maybe there's a lesson for life there anyway that is december it's been great fun we're really looking forward to 2019 i hope you are too and i hope we meet as many people as we can in 2019 the various different places we're going to be scattered all over the world as we are traveling as we do and we're always there virtually on twitter facebook on the blog on the podcast you know keep in touch